Oh, yes. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to MLB Morning Coffee. We apologize for not having an episode out yesterday. The long story behind that. I appreciate those of you who listened to our White Sox preview with Brett Ballantini. It is one of our most highest listened to episodes since we've started this podcast. I will say the issue was yesterday is that I have a roommate that has not been sleeping well, and apparently my recordings have woken them up, so I needed to keep quiet. And I've also started another podcast. It is on the Hoopball Network. If you're a Chicago Bulls fan, go check out the Hoopball Network, Hoopball Bulls. We're not going to be doing that on the daily like we do this podcast, but we are still going to be trying to bring you Chicago Bulls coverage as it is a really interesting time for the Bulls. Again, if you like this podcast and you like basketball, then go over and listen to Hoopball Bulls. I promise you, you are going to be entertained. Now, we're not going to do a daily grounds today because there are not a ton of news items. I just want to cover the one main news item of the day, and that's Red Sox lefty Chris Sale. And our main topic is going to be the new extension that Christian Yelich received and how it sets the market for upcoming free agents. Mainly, we'll talk about how it compares to other big free agent contracts signed by power-hitting outfielders, along with what it should look like for Mookie Betts. Now, Red Sox ace Chris Sale was diagnosed with a flexor strain in his pitching arm. He's going to be shut down from throwing for a week. People are fearing that Sale might possibly need Tommy John surgery. He has not been able to stay healthy over the last year and a half. He got shut down at the end of last year with elbow inflammation. He's going to start the season on the IL because of pneumonia, but if the Red Sox are to lose Sale for an extended period of time, that is going to be horrific for any chance that they have of competing this year or down the line. Although, again, they did trade Mookie Betts away, so competing down the line doesn't seem to be of the biggest concern to them. Anywho, it is now time to get into our main topic of the day, another contract for another deserving outfielder, Christian Yelich. So Christian Yelich signs a nine-year, $215 million extension with the Milwaukee Brewers, and I think that this is one of the more incredible contract extensions that we've had in the modern day because of the fact that, number one, Yelich is a superstar that I don't think a lot of people thought he was going to stay in Milwaukee after his current contract, which he signed many years ago when he was a young buck with the Miami Marlins. But now you look at Yelich and you look at the type of performance that he's put up over the last two years and you're thinking this is a guy that's going to earn the same type of money as a Bryce Harper or possibly a Mike Trout. And when you look at the years and the money, 9 and 215 compared to what Harper got, which is 12 and 320. I can't remember if it's 12 or 13, but regardless, like, the better value goes to Christian Yelich. I am amazed that David Stearns was able to pull off a deal like this because the Brewers are not a team that historically spends a lot of money. Like, their most expensive contract ever prior to this was signing Ryan Braun to an extension that ended up being $105 million. So you look at where the Brewers stand, and they're an interesting team in the fact that they're not going to end up spending a lot of money on multiple guys, but every once in a while, they're going to end up making a splash and make a splash with somebody that you have to keep. 
Like, based on his first two years in Milwaukee, you had to keep him. And there were signs, based on his time prior to arriving with the Brewers, that Yelich was going to be a consistent superstar. The deal is a modified nine-year deal because it adds on $7 million to his current deal. So he's guaranteed $27.75 million in the remainder of his current deal, which is 12 and a half this year, $14 million in 2021, and he has a $1.25 million buyout of a 2022 team option, and that basically he's going to get that option canceled out, which will be seven years to 215. So everybody looks at the headline and say nine years 215. It's more like seven years 215. But regardless of what the money is, like Christian Yelich is a guy that you had to keep because of the fact that he's one of the best all-around hitters in baseball. He fits perfectly at Miller Park, which is eventually going to become American Family Field or, or whatever the heck it's called. And he's shown that he is a model of consistency. So his last two years in Miami, 298 average, 21 homers, 98 RBI, and on base of 376. 2017, his last year with the Marlins, 282, 18 homers, 81 RBI. His MVP year in 2016, 326 average, 402 on base percentage, 1,000 OPS, 36 homers, 110 RBI. This past year where he broke his kneecap in early September and only played 130 games. Now, granted, this is less games than he played in his MVP season. 44 homers, 97 RBI, hit 329, had an on-base of 429, and an OPS of 1,100 or 1.1. Like, my goodness, to have those type of numbers after already putting up an MVP type of season is insane. Like, he had an on-base percentage 100 points higher than his batting average, which is not the rarest of things, but when it comes for a guy that hits 329 to have an on-base that's that much higher, is sight unseen. It's rare. Yelich is only 28 years old, so he's still going to be a functioning high-level player in the last nine years of this contract. Like, He'll be a productive player at age 37, and he's going to be a Milwaukee Brewer for basically the rest of his career. And when you sign guys to long-term contracts like Albert Pujols when he's 30, that you're wary of. But when you sign a guy to a long-term contract when he's 28, I don't think that's as big of a worry. When you sign somebody like a Bryce Harper to a 12-year deal, now granted, he's 27, it's a little bit different because he's going to end up being 38 when the contract is done. I mean, he signed the deal when he was 26. But you look at the numbers for Harper over the last four years, and they're not nearly as good as what Yelich's were. I mean, the 2018 season, Harper had 34 homers. He drove in 100 RBI, led the league in walks at 130, but he hit 249. His on-base was 393, which is insanely impressive given the fact that he only hit 249. And then this past year in Philadelphia, he quietly hit 35 homers and had 114 RBI, hit 260, had an on-base of 372, didn't make the all-star team. So I still think that Yelich is probably the better player because the strikeout numbers are so much lower. Like the last two years have been the highest amount of homers in Harper's career with the exception of 2015 where he hit 42. They've been the two highest RBI numbers of his career where he hit had 100 and 114. He never had over 100 RBI in any year prior to that, but also his two highest strikeout years, 169 strikeouts, which was a career high in 2018, and eclipsed that 
with 178 in 2019. So how does the market for Christian Yelich and what the Brewers did set the tone for somebody like Mookie Betts, who apparently wanted $400 million? So let's take a look at Betts' numbers over the last four years. 2016, his first year as an All-Star, 158 games, 31 homers, 113 RBI, hit 318 with an on-base of 363, OPS of 897. 2017, another All-Star year, hits 264, on-base of 344, 24 homers, 102 RBI. So his 200-plus RBI years came in 2016 and 2017. His 2018 season, his MVP year, 346 average. He was the AL batting champ. 438 on base percentage. Awesome considering that he hit 346. So his on base was 90 points higher than his batting average. 92 points higher to be exact. 32 homers, 80 RBI, slugging percentage of 640. And then this past year with the Red Sox, hit 295, an on base of 391. 29 homers, 80 runs driven in, OPS of 915. Should mention that his career-high OPS was in his MVP year where it was at 1,078. So Betts is the type of guy that's going to get more money than Yelich because people view him as a better defensive outfielder. But, like, where do the numbers compare? The power numbers don't compare. Yelich's power numbers are trending upward and going to be far greater. I think that Betts is not going to have the opportunity for those type of RBI numbers that Yelich has. But again, Yelich also is in the middle of a lineup, and Betts historically has been at the top of a lineup. But Betts is going to end up getting a lot of money because of the fact that he has won an MVP, he's in the last year of his contract, and he can set the tone. Now, Yelich's contract can either set the tone or break the mold because Yelich, I think, signed for a lot less than he probably could have gotten. So let's assume, let's just assume that the original contract was 215 over seven years. That's the extension he gets. That's $30 million a year. So if Betts wants a $300 million contract, that's 300 over 10. He originally wanted $400 million, which over 10 years is $40 million a year. I don't think a baseball player is worth $40 million a year. If Garrett Cole is getting $36 million a year from the Yankees as a starting pitcher, which is basically over a million dollars per start, you can go to your agent if you're Mookie Betts and say, hey, I'm the type of guy that is going to be able to demand this type of contract because I provide more value on a daily basis than a Garrett Cole. Somebody is going to pay this much for me because the Yankees were willing to pay this much for a starting pitcher. Now let's take a look at Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant has still got two more years of team control, but he's going to end up getting a significant amount of money. Now Bryant's MVP year, 36 homers, 102 RBI. Now Bryant is interesting because of the fact that he's viewed on this superstar stage, but not he does not have the same type of numbers that Betzer Yelich has. 2019, 31 homers, 77 runs driven in, 282 batting average with a 382 on base. So his on base percentage is, again, 100 points higher than his batting average, but it's 100 points higher than his batting average hitting at 282 as opposed to Yelich, who has his batting average 100 points higher, or rather his on base percentage 100 points higher than his batting average hitting at 329, or Mookie Betts, who has it at 90 points higher when he's hitting 346. His best year, 39 homers, 102 RBI, 292 batting average, 385 on-base percentage. So a good disparity in batting average and on-base percentage. 
Bryant, by the way, has never had an OPS over 1,000 in his career, so that's one thing to keep in mind. So how do you level up Bryant's expectations with Yelich's expectations? People might be willing to pay more for Chris Bryant because he's more versatile. You can put him at third base. You can put him in left field. You can put him in right field. You could even put him in center field. Like, you can't put Christian Yelich in the infield. You can put Yelich in right. That's his best position. Or you could potentially put him in center field. Left field he could probably play as well, but he's one of those guys that he's not going to be able to play the infield. And Bryant, with the ability to play third base and play a corner outfield spot, people might be willing to pay a little bit more for that type of versatility. One of the reasons we're doing this exercise is to understand how the context of the contract is going to fit into those guys that are going to demand X type of money on future contracts. So let's look at Francisco Lindor. Lindor, his last three seasons, he's hit over 30 homers every year. Last season, he had 74 RBI. In 2017, he had 89 RBI. In 2018, he had 92 RBI. His batting averages have not been that high over the last three years. He had 284 last year, 277 the year before, and 273 in 2017. His on-base numbers have not been as high relative to his batting average, a 335 on-base to his 284 batting average this past year in 2018, a 352 on-base percentage to his 277 batting average, and a 337 on-base to his 273 batting average in 2017. 2016, which was his first year really on the scene, his power numbers weren't as high, 15 homers, 78 RBI, but he hit 301, which is his highest batting average in a year where he's played over 100 games. In his rookie year in 2015, he played 99 games, hit 313. On base in 2016 of 358. So Lindor is the type of guy as a shortstop that is going to end up demanding a lot of money because he hits for a lot of power, he scores a lot of runs, and he doesn't, relatively speaking, strike out that much. 2018 is the only year where he's recorded over 100 strikeouts. He had 98 strikeouts last season. In 2017, he had 93 strikeouts, 88 strikeouts in 2016. But again, the ability to be a shortstop and play possibly a variety of different positions is going to make him valuable. Now, a guy that may be even more versatile, let's look at Javier Baez for the Chicago Cubs. His last two seasons, 2018, a year where he finished second in the NL MVP, 34 homers, a league-leading 111 RBI, hit 290. His on-base was only 326. Baez strikes out a ton. He struck out 167 times. Last year, he had 29 homers, 85 RBI. He hit 281, had an on-base of just 316, and he struck out 156 times. Baez is a guy that's trending upward because he's living up to the potential that so many people thought he was going to have when he first was drafted by the Chicago Cubs. And people will end up paying a decent amount of money for Baez if he gets to the open market because of the fact he's got the gaudy power numbers. He's going to drive in runs. He'll hit for relatively a high average. He's not going to walk that much. That's the thing. His walk numbers over the last three years, 30 walks in 2017, 29 walks in 2018, only 28 walks last year. He's not a high on base guy. He's a free swinger. But what are you going to end up paying for? Does he have the same type of value that Yelich's contract has? I don't think so, and I don't necessarily think that for Lindor either. But what team is going to be willing to pay that much more money for what is called a premium position? I think that a shortstop 
and a second baseman that have those type of power numbers and those type of run production numbers are going to end up making more money relative to their peers because it is rare to find those types of power-hitting players in those positions. You can find more power-hitting outfielders. You can find more power-hitting corner infielders. You're not going to find a ton of power-hitting middle infielders that can play a good second base or a good shortstop and give you 30 homers and 95 RBI a year. That just doesn't happen that much. Again, we look at the numbers on Yelich's contract, and we look at the numbers on Garrett Cole's contract, which was nine years, $324 million, and we say, how do we compare these numbers to the rest of the market? How is this going to cause teams to act when it comes to their own free agents? You know, if the Brewers, who are a relatively small market team, could pay that type of money for Christian Yelich, which is going to end up being about $30 million a year once the extension kicks in, why did the Red Sox not want to pay for Mookie Betts? Because can the Red Sox afford $30 million a year? Yeah, absolutely. Can the Red Sox afford $40 million a year? Yeah, absolutely. But you have to look at your cost-benefit analysis. Is Mookie Betts worth $40 million a year? And if he is, then why is that to say that Christian Yelich isn't worth $40 million a year? Why was Christian Yelich worth that much money to the Brewers, but Mookie Betts wasn't worth the same amount of money to the Red Sox? Like, $30 million seems to be that kind of key number that a lot of these free agents are going to end up signing for in terms of a per-year basis, because Alex Rodriguez way back in the day set that precedent, and granted that was an absorbent amount of money at the time for a 10-year deal with the Rangers that was $300 million. Guys see themselves as worth this much money today. I remember Barry Bonds' last big contract with the Giants was five years and $95 million, which seemed like a lot at the time. Like five years and $95 million. That's amazing to me because... Barry Bonds in the modern day for the type of production that he had is worth so much more than that. So, like, let's do an exercise here where we look at Barry Bonds' numbers in his prime and see what they would be worth in terms of a modern-day contract. Barry Lamar Bonds. Let's start with 2000. He finished second in the MVP that season. He hit 49 homers. He had 106 RBI. He had a 306 batting average and a 440 on base. Bonds led the league in walks with 117. It's next year, the year he hit 73. He hit 328, 137 RBI. He had an on base of 515. He had an OPS of 1379. Walked 177 times, as we said. The next year, 2002. 46 homers, 110 RBI, 198 walks, led the league in batting average at 370, led the league in on-base percentage at 582, had an OPS of 1381. 2003, he only played in 130 games, 45 homers, 90 RBI, still led the league in walks at 148, hit 341, his on-base was 529. 2004 which may be his most impressive year yet. Bonds, by the way, won the MVP seven times, four times in a row from 2001 until 2004. In 2000, he ended up finishing second to his teammate, Jeff Kent. 2004 might be his most impressive year ever. 
147 games, 45 homers, 101 RBI. He walked 232 times. He had a batting average of 362, an on-base of 609. When do you see that now? 14-22 OPS, an 8-12 slugging percentage, and he drew a record 120 intentional walks. So those numbers today would be worth $45 million a year if you're comparing it on the scale. But teams didn't pay guys like that, and a lot of people are still skeptical of Barry Bonds for his steroid use or perceived steroid use. Again, we may never have a clear outcome in terms of what the result of that is. But let's look at his three MVPs prior to the steroid era. 1990, 33 homers, 114 RBI, 301 batting average, 406 on base percentage, led the league in OPS at 970. 1992, his last year with the Pirates. 311 batting average, on base percentage of 456, which led the league, OPS of 1080. 1993, led the league in homers at 46, led the league in RBI, 123, hit 336, on base of 458. Those are gaudy numbers today. Like, those are the type of numbers that you see from Yelich. Those are better numbers than Yelich. So if Barry Lamar Bonds had a max contract in his prime of five years and $95 million, now, relatively speaking, that was a lot of money back when he signed that extension in the early 2000s. That's $19 million a year. So you're telling me that Christian Yelich is in the modern day worth $11 million a year more for numbers that are not as good as Barry Bonds in his prime? or even before his prime, and you're telling me that Mookie Betts is worth twice the player of Barry Bonds? Like, seriously, get out of here. If the Dodgers are going to re-sign Mookie Betts, it's not going to be the type of contract that he feels like he deserves. Now, we're going to give you, we're going to do a blind test here. We're going to do a blind test of two guys. Two guys, and one of them whose numbers we've already given, And we're going to ask what you think are the better numbers. We're going to give both of these guys have recently won an MVP. So, player A. Player A in his MVP year, and this is going to test your memory to see if you have been paying attention closely. Player A hit 346 with an on-base of 438, 32 homers, and 80 RBI in his MVP season. Now, player B. Player B in his MVP season hit 47 homers, had 115 RBI, 305 batting average, 406 on base percentage, an OPS of 1035, and we should let you know that the OPS of the guy in 2018 was 1078. So, oh, and I just gave it away. So player A is Mookie Betts. Power numbers not as good as player B. Batting average better than player B. On base percentage, relatively speaking, decent. Who is player B? Player B is Cody Bellinger, and that was his 2019 MVP season. So let's take a look at one more guy. I'm going to call this guy player C because player C also had a really good year very recently. So the numbers of player C in this year. 34 homers, 126 RBI, 
319 batting average, 412 on base percentage, OPS of 10-10. Who is player C? Player C is new Angels infielder, former Nats third baseman, Anthony Rendon. So, how does Yelich's contract set the market? Rendon got a lot of money. Rendon signed a seven-year, $245 million contract, which, if you break that down on a per-year scale, it's more than Yelich. It's $35 million a year. Now, the Angels have historically over-invested in certain guys, but does Mookie Betts feel like he's worth $35 million a year? Just based on his recent history, he's not going to put up the same type of power numbers and run production numbers that a Rendon does. Now, let me give you this next contract. This contract was $240 million over 10 years. That's $24 million a year. And this guy, during some of his best years, was hitting over 40 homers. When he signed this contract, he was coming off of a span of three years where he hit 47, 42, and 37 homers, had RBI numbers of 135, 118, and 99 driven in. So $24 million a year for this player. Who is this player who... Granted, people have ripped on this team for this contract, but he's still putting up decent power numbers today. That would be Albert Pujols. So Pujols is a $34 million a year guy. And I think that while you didn't want to sign a guy of his age to that big of a contract, he is still putting up the type of power numbers that he is today. Now, why are we not talking about Mike Trout? You're asking, why are we not talking about Mike Trout? Well, Mike Trout is in another galaxy, and Trout's already broken the bank. Trout signed a $425 million extension over 12 years, and that makes him a $35.4 million a year player. So, we all know Trout's prodigious numbers. Trout has had years where he just abolishes the league in on-base percentage, and that's what makes Trout so valuable. In six of his last seven years, Trout has had an on-base percentage of over 430. And in 2014, he had an on-base of 377. In 2015, he had an on-base of 402. So, for Trout, who has been over 100 RBI three times, he has been over 30 home runs six times, and is somebody that is going to consistently hit in the high 290s to low 300s in batting average. Now, when he first came on the scene, he was hitting at 320, 323, then a little bit of an average dip because of a dip in power numbers. You know, the strikeout numbers go a little bit up, and Trout in 2014 did lead the league in strikeouts. But again, you look at the value on the contract per year, $35.4 million. Trout is worth that because of how consistent he has been with the type of numbers that he has put up. And he hit a career-high 45 home runs this past year. Now, granted, the juiced ball, the tightly wound ball, that might have played something into it. But still, Trout has had on-base percentages of over 430 in each of his last four years. He has had slugging percentages of over 600 in each of his last three years. He's had an OPS of over 1,000 in each of his last three years and an OPS of 991 in the two years prior exactly. He has won the AL MVP three times. He has finished second in the MVP four times, won the Rookie of the Year in 2012 when he hit 30 homers, 83 RBI, stole a league-high 49 bases too, by the way, and 
that was a year where he finished second in the MVP voting. So is Christian Yelich worth the type of contract he got? Yes. $30 million for his numbers and the consistency he's had? Absolutely. Is Mookie Betts going to be worth more than him? Is he worth more than Mike Trout? Absolutely not. So Betts, I feel like now, has got himself a baseline to where he knows that he can ask for more than Yelich, but he probably can't ask for as much as Mike Trout. And by the way, we did not end up giving you the contract figure on Bryce Harper in terms of the per year. I estimated what I thought the per year was. So it's $330 million over 13 years, and Harper wanted the long-term security. So that actually is less money per year than the Brewers are giving Yelich. That's $25.4 million per year. And Harper is a guy that's got great power numbers, but his strikeout numbers are high. And he is inconsistent with his walk numbers, even though he did lead the league in walks in 2018. So there's a lot of intrigue here in terms of how the upcoming free agents, whether they be infielders like Lindor, Bryant, Baez, or outfielders like Betts, are going to set the market going forward. This has been another edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a daily MLB podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed this lengthy discussion on Christian Yelich's contract and what it has meant to baseball. So, Without further ado, we're going to sign off. Remember, write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. We appreciate all of your feedback here on MLB Morning Coffee. I will let you know I am working a lot the next couple of days. There is going to be some inconsistent record times, release times, what have you. The production value might not be as high on this as it normally is, but we're going to do our absolute best to make sure that we deliver you a great product in the mornings when we can. This has been another edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a daily MLB podcast. My name is Greg Moraz. Have a great rest of your day, and we will catch you in the AM.